On this episode, Sierra Cups, self-arresting, safety, and learning to live. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Hello, dear listeners. So we have started a Patreon page for the podcast. If you've never heard of Patreon, think of it as kind of like a tip jar. Basically, if you want to help us keep the lights on, now you can by subscribing to us on the page for a monthly sum. Now, this is totally optional, and of course the show will still be free. We will have monthly gear giveaways for our subscribers starting at the end of August 2022, and possibly some more perks down the road. If you'd like to help out, just go to patreon.com forward slash A-T-A-P. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash A-T-A-P. Thanks again. Here's the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Uh, today, I'm, I'm kind of excited because we have really someone who's kind of like a legend in the, uh, in the at least in the Sierra Nevada hiking community, uh, who's been a member forever. I mean, what was your the first year you hiked the PCT net? It was really early on. It was early 70s, wasn't it? <laughs> don't mean to age if I, right away. If I wanted to get technical with yeah. PCTA records, uh, I was probably numbered like 21 that has ever hiked wow. the trail in 1974. That's amazing. And and again, you do so much. A lot of talk a lot about hiker safety and your, I, I don't know, pillar of the community is the best way I can I can describe you. Uh, and again, like Jeff and I, we were chatting a little bit before this. We've been Facebook friends forever, but we've never actually had a conversation. So it's kind of it's going to be nice to actually finally talk to you. But uh, why don't you do a better job of introducing yourself to our listeners, Ned? Good Lord. Um, well, my name is Ned Tibbetts. Uh, I am uh, kind of from California, although I hate to say it. This is a goofy state. But um, <laughs> uh, back in 1974, uh, no, se- 1970, I heard about the Pacific Crest Trail through Eric Ryback's book, High Adventure of Eric Ryback, and then later found out that it was largely ghostwritten, if not all of it ghostwritten. And a lot of stuff was inaccurate. But anyway, lawsuit ensued. Has nothing to do with anything. Uh, he got me excited and a lot of other people excited about doing this thing called the Pacific Crest Trail. So uh, it took me three years to plan it. Uh, hiked it and, uh, in 1974, as I said. And uh, went on to do the half of the Continental Divide in 1980. Uh, I was a paramedic for eight years. Uh, graduated from UC Davis. Oh, my God. And... Um, uh, let's see. Uh, worked for the Forest Service as a backcountry wilderness ranger right along the John Muir Trail in Sierra National Forest. Let's see. What else? A uh, whole bunch of stuff. Um, I ran a wilderness school I created in 1982 called Mountain Education. Long time ago, so we've been at it 40 years this year uh, trying to uh, teach uh, hikers, especially long-distance hikers, about uh, wilderness safety and you know, if you take care of yourself and you're smart and wise, uh, you can stay out longer and have more fun. So that's the idea. And this year, of course, uh, we've already heard been a lot of, uh, I hate to say it, but fatalities on the trail, a lot of injuries, a lot of people uh, jumping off the trail right away uh, due to uh, silly things like, to, what's a blister, you know, and oh God, I can't handle it. <laughs> but anyway, so that's kind of my background in a nutshell. Well, I was going to, you kind of, to my question a little bit i was gonna say unfortunately it does seem like there's been more fatalities more you know rescues more everything 
this year, you know, than usual, than in a usual yeah. year. And there's always a few. I mean, that just kind of comes with the territory. But uh, do, you, do you think that that's because more people are doing it? Because that's clearly obviously true. More people are doing this than have ever been doing it. Or do you think, it, you know, it's just like a law of averages kind of thing? Or do you think that it's just no less information you think there's more thing more to it yeah no there's whether whether i was on the trail with my students see what i used to do is i used to uh, teach pct through hikers from kennedy meadows south or cottonwood pass whichever was available uh on up and over uh, forester and out kearsarge we do uh, that little section and i would take a week and then i'd uh, uh, go go out cycle back do another group for the next week and i would do it for two months every year for the last 40 years. And so whether I was out there with my group and the through hikers were going by us and they were talking about hamburgers and going out Kearsarge and down to get their resupplies and stuff, but you, you watch them and they're just, they don't have really a safety clue at all in mind. They'd figure I can walk on dry trail. What's the big deal with snow? So they go out there on their trail runners. And of course they're like skis. But they don't know that yet until suddenly they get a downhill and they're on their backs tumbling down the hill and, and about ready to run into a tree or a boulder or a creek or a lake or whatever and uh, then they find out uh, oh my i should have thought about this i should have gotten more into safety planning and so uh, i would say that this year is probably caused by haste uh, they're, they're, the, the folks are really not taking their time to research everything. They're dismissing a lot of safety advice. Uh, I do get a lot of feedback. I'm out there as much as I can uh, to ad advise folks, you know, what's the reality of the trail. But, you know, I don't hear back from the majority of them until after and they get home or they go somewhere like Independence and Lone Pine and they go, oh, my God, Ned, thank you for the advice on the self-arrest, whatever. You know, you guys may know my preference, but, you know, ISAX versus self-arrest pole or, you know, maybe on shoes and shoe design and what grabs the snow, what doesn't and how things work and how to approach a pass and glissade down the backside and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I would say that most of it has to do with there's yes, there's a lot more uh permits being pulled uh but i think it's just it, it, it's it's like the, like you see it 20 miles a day right from the beginning really serious you're gonna freaking die you're gonna have a problem your feet are gonna give out your knees are gonna give out your hips are gonna tell you to go home and that's what happens so you don't have to do this this uh, go 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 mentality and that's what also causes folks to be unprepared for the hazards that are up ahead. And so we've had fatalities this year. Usually, yes, we do have a few. We never used to. Um, but I do think it's uh, kind of a byproduct or spinoff from um, Cheryl Strayed's uh, book and movie, you know, Wild, uh, whatever the rest of it was called. I actually met her and talked to her for quite a while about this whole phenomenon. Uh, many years ago and she was very supportive in allowing me to use her facebook page to get the word out about safety and and she didn't really realize that she was such an encourager uh, of people to simply not plan and go out there and uh, and do it or try to and run into trouble talking about cheryl strade's book wild i think you know the the story 
a lot of people like when the movie came out in particular thought oh it's a it's a it's a movie about hiking the pct but it's really not it's more of a personal story of the struggles that she was going through and her own life experience and it happened to be taking place on the pct exactly <laughs> and uh, um yeah it's interesting because i think I, I know my wife and I, when we were hiking the John Muir Trail southbound, we ran across a couple from Australia who was hiking the PCT northbound. And they had never backpacked before the PCT. They saw some, you know, film or something and thought, oh, that sounds cool. And so they, you know, bought tickets. They went to an REI down in San Diego and bought gear got a ride to the trailhead and started. Mm-hmm. And the the good the good thing is this was we were we met them at uh, Ray Lakes and um, they were doing well, you know, like they were happy and you know they had adjusted, they had gotten their trail legs. They kind of learned as they went, you know. Um, and maybe that was a function of maybe not they weren't going fast or anything like that, but um, mm-hmm. um I think what you do with the, especially with the training is so important because the conditions are unpredictable. You never know when you're going to have, you know, a lot of, you know, high river crossings or a lot of snow or that sort of thing. And, um, it's really important that you're prepared for those situations. People want to schedule everything and they want mm-hmm. to control as much as they can. Uh, they want to be able to predict, uh, you know, ideal conditions and I'm going to get my ultralight whatevers and then the blizzard hits and the tent blows away or rips to shreds and they're uh, maybe, maybe maybe they just didn't prepare for crossing the creeks. So what the hell, you know, like they tell their parents, nothing's going to happen to me out there. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry. But then, you know, as we know, mountain weather and, and uh, you know, the stuff that hits the fan does hit the fan. And we try... Uh, mainly me, I speak we because mountain education as a wilderness school used to have uh, a staff and we had, uh, you know, people uh, running trips and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But since I started working for uh, FEMA, emergency management for, you know, the government, uh, and I often get deployed to national disasters and I'm gone a lot, um, I try and do everything online and it's just me. And so I, every year, particularly right about now, actually, I start talking to next year's class to try and turn the light bulb on uh, in their heads to help them understand what those realities of the trail i call it you know like the creek crossings and the steep snow and post holing and you know really bears awful no bears are fine just leave them alone you know especially black bears but you know they don't know they don't know the stuff. They, they've read the outside magazine, whatever, and it's uh, extreme sports and extreme glory, and maybe you get killed in the process, but it's all good for the badass title. I think at least if they were reading outside magazine before they were reading, now let's be honest, now it's Instagram and social media, which is yeah. even a dumb, you know, an incredibly dumbed down version of what reading outside magazine would have been, you know, back in the day. So <laughs> it's yeah. even even worse. <laughs> it's interesting, like what the perceived risks are, yeah. right? Starting something of like that versus the actual risk. So like bears and snakes, like, like they're there, but the likelihood of them impacting your PCT trip is probably a lot less than the other things like snow and weather and the elements and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, those are the natural ones. Don't, yeah. don't, don't discredit the, uh, 
the predators out there that are on two legs. And we yeah. saw, unfortunately, too much of that this year as well. Um, hey, Ned, so you well, you did the PCT back in, in 1974, a few years ago. The um, What are some of the things that you learned from that experience? Like what did you know, like you went in with some expectations, you planned it for three years. So that's awesome because you did a lot of preparation. Did you feel like after you were done, like, oh, I will, I'll never do this again, or I would do this differently. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Once you get the bug, you get the bug. And, and I see, I see we're smiling here. We all understand that. Um, no, it's addictive. And uh, although I had been, yeah, I was 17. Yeah. I had been hiking since I was eight. Uh, lots of summer camp stuff, stuff with my family, whatnot. So I was, I was hooked already, but, um, you know, I hadn't done anything longer than like three weeks. So I figured what the hell, you know, five and a half months, no big deal. Just like everybody else does these days. But, um, it, it, yeah, three years of planning, but that was because we didn't have the internet. We, I had to snail mail everything. Permits were, you know, from certain wilderness areas, and that was it. Um, so resupplies, what's that? How do you do it? We didn't have a clue. We really didn't have a clue back in the early 70s. We just wanted to do it. And if we didn't have the right gear, it didn't matter. We went down the Army surplus store and got whatever the hell they had and took it. And, yeah, our packs were heavy because of it, but we toughened up. We just did it. You know, like hikers do it today, but the, the thing is they feel they got to have – just the right, perfect, whatever. And really, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I probably digress from, from whatever your question was. So what did I learn? Maybe that it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You know, gear. God, I had, I had a Boy Scout heavy spoon. I had a Sierra Cup metal, you know, one of those things. Uh, I had heavy junk. By the time I was done with my hike, I had like four or five regular books in my backpack and and all the stacks of maps and extra clothes. And it doesn't make any difference because you're a freaking hiking machine by then anyway. So yeah. your body will just get stronger, whatever. Yeah. So what you go to the gym for, right? Incremental weight, weight uh, gain uh, with the barbells and junk. Your body gets stronger. And, and let's be honest, no one has improved on the design of the Sierra Cup. Come on, that's that's like... <laughs> you date that yourself. Will never, yeah, that, that will never be improved upon ever. I'm sorry, that's just, you know... <laughs> well they called them dippers remember that uh, i don't that's so that's before my time but i i still have my titanium i have a titanium one so i guess that's a, sli- a slight improvement upon the uh the originals i have some originals too actually but you know <laughs> right D- dip and sip right? yeah <laughs> that was it mm-hmm. yeah and again you kind of mentioned it a lot of what really kind of creates the risk is water in its forms right so we're talking snow we're talking ice the, the heavy crossings, those, you know, especially during heavy snow years, this wasn't a heavy snow year, but even early season and a, and a low snow year, those can be quite treacherous. So, so what do you, like, what is your advice to people? So let's pretend we're talking, cause it's kind of too late for the class of 2022, 2023, like what should they start exactly. thinking about and what should they start considering if they want to do this next year? Well, yeah, these are big questions and it's like, you know, you don't give me a big question because I'll freaking roll for an hour. Uh, <laughs> what, what should they they should they should get out there now? They yeah. should get out there right now and get their feet on some some whatever patch of snow they can find. I mean, if they're in the Pacific Northwest, it's still all over the place. But get out there now and find out what it's like. You can't prepare for something you don't understand. 
you know, and there's nothing like actually being on it. It's like getting yeah. in the ring, you know, with some boxer. How do you know how to fight the guy uh, unless you study him or unless you get a, you get you try whatever you've got? It's like football. You know, you have a, a game plan, but you really got to feel out the other guy. So in this case, you've got to get out there and, 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 try, and test the snow for yourself. Test your balance. Test your traction. Practice your self-arrest. Know how to follow a trail when you can't see the damn thing because it's under feet of snow. Um, get your feet in the water. Obviously, start with a mellow creek, but you know, practice how to cross a creek that's actually at an incline. And this is one of the biggest fallacies that I have a I have a problem with and have to address. Like you watch the, and I'm not pointing, I'm not picking on Knowles. They're pretty good, but some of the other uh, uh, wilderness schools, you know, and they have their videos and they're all really nicely done and all that's cool. I, I never had enough bucks to be able to do a nice one, but they always show you this flat, wide evolution creek type yeah. crossing that you know it might be a little deep and then they get everybody in a train formation or a circular formation and it's all touted as being the way to do it but when you get to the sierra because the inclines are so steep the faster the water moves the bigger the boulders the more erosion the more obstacles that you can't see underneath the white water and foam and you're totally out of your element you know, if you train for that stuff for the Flat Creek crossings or the Appalachian Trail Creek crossings, something that's probably more mellow than what you're going to get in the Sierra, um, you're going to look at that damn thing and go, holy crap, I, I am way out of my element. Uh, I'm turning around or whatever. And then, of course, you had the two fatalities in the South Fork of the Kings River a few uh, years ago with the two gals, I think it was, and they had fallen behind from their group and they were hurrying to catch up and they got to the creek and they you know had limited strip maps oh my god limited strip maps that only show the trail whereas if you have to punt around an obstacle you gotta know miles around of you you know and if you have to escape because of a you got buried by a snowstorm in the sierra and you got to bail at the next possible route out you better have those side the maps for that side trail and then when you get down to the dirt road where's that dirt road going to take you to what asphalt road and you better maybe have a road map but, oh, you know, ultralight, mm, can't carry all those maps, Ned. Yeah. Nothing will happen to me. So, so I'd, I'd encourage people to get out there right now. Outside of that, take it seriously. What are the risks? Find out. I publish a lot, both on the, the school's website, on my Facebook page for Mountain Education, as well as my own, to try and get the word about, out about what the realities are, what, what's out there that, that can mess with you, so that you can be prepared. Do it now. One of the things I appreciate about your advice, Ned, is that you are, you're not, um, you know, you recognize that, you know, different types of footwear, for example, work for mm -hmm. different people, you know, like some people want a boot, some people want a trail runner, whatever, uh, you know, different kinds of packs and the gear is not as important, really. It's like what you, what works for you and how you dial it in and make sure that you're really? safe. Yep. And, uh, but Earlier in the in the uh, podcast, you mentioned something. You alluded to something about self arrest, and I wanted to ask which. <laughs> what's your preference, ice axe or self arrest trekking poles? How do you what and, and why? The the self arrest pole has an ice axe type pick at the at the handle, so you've always got something to self arrest with the pick that's on the handle of your walking stick kind of a combination walking stick ice axe really so if you should suddenly slip you've got a tool to use to 
arrest your tumble. Now remember, no, do not remember, realize, for those who are listening, when you fall on snow, it's never graceful. It's never a pretty little thing like, oh, I'm just going to sit on my butt and slide down the hill. You know, and, and, and that'll be all just fine. I can, it's an easy self-rest. Hell no, it's an ass over tea kettle tumble, which we as ski patrollers refer to as a yard sale where everything goes everywhere. All your gear is going to probably get scattered all over the hillside before you can affect a stop, even if you've got your act together. You know, even as the pros, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. So when I teach it, the last thing that the, 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 especially the young kids like to do is just make a wild ass run across the slope and launch themselves Superman style and then crash and burn on the snow and tumble, you know, like mad all the way down the hill and then self-arrest. And they think, oh, that's grand and great fun. And uh, that's their, their graduation from the, from the class. You don't have to do that if you don't want to. <laughs> uh, but anyway... An ice axe is the definitive tool for, for a climber, for a snow climber. It chops footholds. It, you can sink it all the way in vertically into the snow as an anchor. As I was about to say earlier, it goes in your uphill hand and you bury the thing. You run it all the way into the snow. Why? Because should you fall, and remember, you're tethered to it with a strap from your wrist to the ice axe. Should you fall, it's designed to it's designed not to prevent the fall. Actually, in some cases, it causes it. But it's intended to stop the tumble or to arrest the, the, uh, the fall before it starts. So actually, it doesn't arrest the fall. It arrests the tumble. So it doesn't prevent the fall. To prevent a fall, maintain your balance. Use two poles, decent snow baskets. Have a, some kind of traction aid that's appropriate for the slope and the condition of the snow. Those are two main big, big uh, conditions there. Um, and uh, go slow. Mm -hmm. Never be hasty. But most hikers, most PCT through hikers, untrained, will simply use their ice axe as a walking stick. You'll see them, it's swinging off their hand and the little tip of the ice axe because their ice axes are super, super short because they didn't want to have any kind of extra weight they don't know how to use the damn thing. So it's like a little extension of the arm that's swinging out into the air. And occasionally they reach over and maybe scratch the surface of the snow with it. So just in case, it kind of makes them feel good. It's sort of like a pole, but not really. Because if they put the weight on the ice axe, it doesn't have a basket. So where's it going to go? Straight into the snow. And they're going to face plant and then begin their tumble. Um, so anyway, uh, what do I prefer? Clearly, you don't have to be trained with a, with a self-arrest pole. It's yeah. always in your hand should you go down. Yes, get training, but uh, you don't have to. Most anybody can figure out you put the pick in the snow, you put your weight on it so it doesn't get away from you, and it brings you to a stop. And you dig in with your toes and every freaking thing you have to save your life. But at least it's in your hand, and it's a hell of a lot better than trying to self-arrest with the bottom of your hiking stick which can work in certain conditions. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that was a long dissertation. Hope you appreciate it. <laughs> I kind of get going. That's okay. Um, you could also just, you know, you could probably, I don't know if you're going to still do it, but I believe Severia teaches winter school skills. So, you know, you can sign up to learn from somebody like Severia in the, you know, before you do the PCT, right? Exactly. People just don't realize that it's actually, there's technique involved and that there's actual like, yeah technique and that the tools are there for a reason and um you know what what you have on your shoes it's not just always necessarily the pole or the self-rest but do you need traction do you need 
you know, something grippy. So all those things definitely play into it and learning how to do it. I can't, I mean, my favorite is, I have a couple of favorite stories, but my favorite is when they still have the tag on the ice axe and it's in their backpack and you're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> I clearly have never done it. Yeah. And then I remember there was a Baldy rescue a few years ago, a number of years ago. And this woman, she's like, well, I had my ice axe and I, whatever. And I knew the folks at REI who sold it to her and they were like, she bought it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> like she came into the store and bought it yesterday and just thought because she had it, it would save her. And the funny thing is when they showed the helicopter rescue, she was in a place that she, had she taken a class or had she had any sort of skill, she could have easily walked off of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because of like the lack of knowledge and the fear, you know, it was a full on search and rescue with a helicopter and all the things. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think there's a tendency for people these days to think that, you know, ha gearing up equals experience being prepared or yeah it doesn't equal experience yeah it equals being prepared and and it doesn't you know the the knowledge is probably the even more important than the gear you know obviously absolutely the right gear is important but if you don't have the knowledge to go to pair that with the gear is just dead weight you know it's yeah. a false sense of security yeah, yeah yeah absolutely even like when we taught the wilderness travel course a lot of the students you know we, we do the wilderness travel course and put through the sierra club and it's snow travel but it's not technical snow travel it's snowshoeing and pretty basic stuff and i would have friends say oh like i'm going out with friends and they said i should bring crampons and ice axe what do you think do you think i'm ready i'm like no we didn't teach you that we didn't teach you how to use an ice axe and crampons like that's a whole other technical skill and then my other favorite is people who have ice axe and crampons and don't have helmets. Yeah. Because it's like, that's my other like, okay, so you have your ice axe and your crampons out and your, or your ice axe and your crampons on, ice axe in your hand and your helmets on your backpack. Like the whole point of the reason you have those things is because you might fall and all of a sudden you're going to have all these sharp things flying around in the air and you're not wearing a helmet. But that is for the trained who, who have an idea that with ice axe crampons comes helmet. Yeah. You know, uh, the idea that maybe they are going to have some pretty steep pitches that's going to go way beyond any through yeah. hiker. So, but, but I, I try and, you know, our, 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 our encouragement, our, our, our thing is to encourage folks to, to want to do a long trail, to work up to doing a long trail, to, to, to graduate into the benefits of that kind of experience. They're not typically that technically minded there's some are hikers who want to just go out longer so uh getting all the right gear they know to do that they're not quite sure what to do with it or how to use it and what's most efficient but you know they'll read up and they'll study up and stuff but they probably won't take a class until maybe they've heard about this guy ned who's always yakking about <laughs> snow safety and all this other oh my god he's a fear monger and all that and it yeah. never happens out there don't listen to him yeah and and uh, that really helps. And I totally yeah. agree with you. Take for the class of 23. <laughs> oh, God, I don't want to go there. Anyway, uh, remember your sunscreen. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of that guy that did that, yeah. that graduation speech a long time ago. But anyway, uh, take, a winter, take a winter class of some kind. There are yeah. a couple of us who, who offer free yeah. classes just for the through hikers or anybody else, really. And it's just basic stuff. How to move around on snow, how to go up, down, across, glissade, self-arrest, how, how to follow a route or not. Because there are some times when t following the trail will put you in the most danger you've ever imagined especially when you're going down summer switchbacks that are buried under six feet of snow. 
and it's just a wall. I, I, I think too, like, like people we're, we're making it sound like these class. It's like this, it's really not that big of a deal to take these classes. It's not a, no. not like going to law school or it's not like whatever. I mean, it's a very, it's like a couple of days of your time to not learn even. these skills and it's fun and you get out, you meet yeah. people. These are, it's a great way to learn to then not have, you know, your life. Cause no one goes out there wanting to die when they do these trails. But the, again, like we said, this is, this happens this is a bunch of times, several this year already. So it's like, you know, you know, take a week and have a good time, learn some skills and it can really save yeah. you and make your experience. And it's not fun to be scared either. I mean, I think we, most of us have had a moment or two where we've been scared mm -hmm. on a mountain and it's like, you know, it's, you're that much less scared and you're that much more comfortable or when you know what to do, you know, <laughs> it's a very attainable thing. Yeah. yeah. And I used to teach this stuff over three days because I wanted people to realize how far they could go on snow. And now it's not so much that that they want. They want to know. Okay, that's great for those who are still planning. But I pretty much just do it as a seven hour one day clinic, you know, teach all the basics and have a lot of fun while you're doing it. Take the fear out of it. Uh, you give them some uh, some stuff to be empowered with uh, knowledge and, and skills and and send them on home mm -hmm. pretty simple i, I took a winter uh mountaineering skills course on baldy a few years back and while we're in the class we were kind of near the ski hut at the a uh, little bit above the ski hut on, along the the bay near the base of the bowl and we're practicing our self-arrest you know we're going down head first and turning ourselves around and all the different positions you can get yourself in and we're having a great time you know like it's just fun you know and we're learning the skills and there's somebody who comes jetting down the side of the mountain they had an ice axe and they're like bang into a tree and they were messed up and the instructors were there they were able to um, contact search and rescue right away they brought a helicopter in. We were watching all of this. It's like, talk about a teachable moment. You know? <laughs> right. yeah. And uh, the guy had a punctured lung and he survived this. But I mean, he got really banged up and, you know, and he had some gear, but obviously, you know, maybe it was a bad decision. Maybe it was not, you know, Usually. lack of, of, of knowledge. Um, and it just kind of drilled in the point that, yeah, you have to you have to have the gear, you have to have the training, and you have to practice it. You know, get get out there like you said, Ned. Get on the snow and uh, and practice it before you get yourself into a situation where you you know you, you're getting trouble. Yeah, our friends would always have a play day, like we would just call it, like we're yeah. gonna have a fun play day. Like before we before we did Baldy, before we did any of our like what we want to, we just have one day because the thing is you also forget the stuff over the summer. It's been a year or two, and so we would have one day where the whole point of the day was just to practice arresting, just to practice glissading, just to practice our anchors. Like, yeah, yep. just get out there and refresh before you just assume that you're going to remember when it when you need it. Years ago, I got certified scuba diving, but I didn't do it for 10 years. And in order to do it, they make you take a, a course. Like, they make you take, like, a refresher course. Do you think that potentially down the road, like, like whoever's issuing the permits, be it, you know, the PCTA or whoever, or, you know, the whatever will, should, like, require a course like that for you to get the permit? Do you think that's a way to go? Do you think that could happen? How, what are your thoughts on that? At some point, you really got to let people make yeah. their own decisions. Sure. You can take, recommend. Take responsibility. Yeah, take responsibility for their own. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah. Uh, you can recommend. You can educate. You can yeah. inform. You can encourage. But they really have to be their own 
person or sure. whatever and make their own decisions. You can show them the videos. This is how you do it. This is what it looks like when it's ugly. Uh, you know, that kind of junk. I, I probably, you know, just like the Forest Service, you know, does, you know, uh, stuff like, you know, fire safety is on the back of the permit. Maybe, you know, how close to water to camp, sanitation habits and junk like that. But you can't, you can't force them. Uh, I would love to do something like that. And, and we've been doing it for 40 years, teaching classes. But, um, yeah, you, yeah, you can so, recommend. And yeah. I, I do that. But, you know, that's that's that kind of stuff. That's a, the skill stuff. This year, we've had more trouble with uh, acute mountain sickness and other versions of hypotension and, and stuff like that that cause people to be dizzy and nauseous and junk up in the mountains. And some have caused some fatalities. So it's not pretty. People aren't dying just because they fell into a lake and drowned or, 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 or hit a tree uh, tumbling down a hillside. And that happens, of course. But this year has had more, more fatalities due to illness. And I'm including kind of the Mount Whitney folks, too. But uh, this, everybody, including the stores down in Lone Pine, can say, no, the conditions aren't right. Don't go up. And they'll go up, and they come into the store for their for their climbing crampons or twelve pointers, and in the most gnarly curved axe, you know, like wow, that's really cool, and I'll know what to do with it when I get there. And they think that they're the false sense of security; they're going to be fine, and and they end up falling down the chute, and and uh, some of them die in the process. Well, we've sort of done enough, maybe being uh, didactic and whatever. <laughs> Why don't we cheer things up a little bit and finish on a, on a higher note? Like a couple of things, like you know, you did this so many years ago. You did the P if you did the PCT in '74. How much do you think it's changed? Why do you still love it? Why do you still think it's great? Why don't you? Why don't you uh, like? Let's be more encouraging now and uh, maybe cheer everyone up a bit. <laughs> the chain, the trail. Everybody, I think everybody who has successfully done it can yeah. can vouch to say changes lives. Mm -hmm. You're out in the wilderness on your own for the most part, maybe with a group, whatever, but you're still making your own decisions for your own life, whether you're in a group or not. You're having your own relationship with the powers that be and this, so forth of the mountains. And it's a, a not a weekend thing. It's not a week thing. You're not out for one resupply or one, one length of a resupply or two. You're out for five months, six months, four months, whatever it is that, that you, you think you're going to do it. And it becomes a relationship where you learn to listen with your heart rather than your ears and you begin to change and you don't even know it and you know it's been i don't know since 74 so uh, 80 40 47 six years whatever that is um since my experience that is what keeps me in the game yeah mm -hmm. there, there's been a lot of People who like to armchair quarterback and a troll and say stuff that they probably shouldn't and demean and discourage. But uh, I have to stand by what I know to be true in my heart and in my spirit that the trail is a wonderful medium to bring you into a really in-depth understanding as to who you are what matters to you, where you're going, what life's all about, et cetera, et cetera, that you ain't going to get really in society or in civilization. Go stick yourself out there and listen to the wind and the birds and, and learn how to deal with life. Uh, and you're going to come out a totally different person than the person who started the hike. Uh, 
And so that was probably one of my greatest takeaways, whether it was on the PCT or the CDT. And I encourage folks for it to be their motivation for doing what they may do like in 2023. So um, it's going to change your life and, and it's, it's well worth getting thoroughly prepared for it. Uh, you don't have to be afraid. Just stick your foot in the water and see if it works for you. And if not, find out a little bit more about it. And it's not just a mental thing. It's a physical thing. Do you still get out and backpack? Like what kind of travel? I see posts on Facebook. I'm not sure. Do you, what, what, what do you do now as far as backpacking? What's your wilderness experiences like now? <laughs> well, since I got involved with FEMA, I'm largely deployed all around the nation all the time. Uh, it's just since COVID that I've actually had a chance to be in a home setting and work from home uh, and even begin to entertain stuff like uh, I'm once again involved search and rescue with uh, with the, the county sheriff where I am here. And I'm in Southern California and I used to I used to volunteer with El Dorado County up on the west side of South Lake Tahoe and Douglas County, Nevada, on the east side of South Lake Tahoe and in, in search and rescue for about five years. Um, since since FEMA, I haven't actually been able to get out and do much teaching. I, I, I don't really do a whole lot of backpacking, so I, I really am a desk jockey. Uh, I kind of remind myself of that guy in, in, what was it, The Incredibles, you know? He's like sitting and crammed in his little cubicle, and he's, you know, but he has an alter ego and does other stuff. But at least in my <laughs> case, I'm not really throwing the pack on my back a, a whole lot, but just little day hikes and stuff. Nice. And you're in, you're in Southern California. Do you go to San Gabriel's? Is that generally where you'll go, or do you go up around Santa Monica's? What do you like to do around town? Well, I'm out. I'm in Orange County, so okay. uh, I get out to Paradise Valley Cafe periodically, especially mm -hmm. after the hikers get started, and kind of give them an idea of what's up ahead and how to deal with snow in person, and uh, head on up into uh, uh, Wrightwood and in Idlewild, and you know, kind of within a fair driving distance. Sometimes I'll go all the way up to Kennedy Meadows South and Mammoth and horse around up there. And But uh, mainly just stay down here. I'm, I'm kind of busy. And I've noticed like on Facebook, you've recently been doing this uh, Learning to Live series. Do you want to maybe, I don't know where they'd find it other than your Facebook page, but which we can link to and everything like that. But do you want to talk about that and what that's about and, and why you've been doing it? That's really, yeah. Uh, learning This Learning to Live series and it's really short. It was meant to be kind of like diary type entries uh, of things that occurred to me regarding uh, the stuff that a through hiker goes through uh, as they progress from the Mexican border north or anybody on a long hike. The, the stuff that, that you didn't know that, that would occur to you, uh, whether it has to do with loneliness or has to do with um, trying to keep up with somebody else's pace or it has to do with really enjoying sitting down during the day. Oh my God, maybe I'll take my pack off and I'm gonna take a little bit of a snack break and that's okay. I don't have to do 20 mile day. Oh man, I could even, let's see, I could go out in the meadow and I could wander around and, and look in the little creek and see if there's some fishes there and maybe I could climb a tree and, 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 and explore stuff, maybe like a sidekin. Oh, I could even take a zero on the trail. So these are some of the things I, I try and talk about in this little series. It, it wasn't meant to be anything in particular, but my goodness, a, a lot of people uh, ha, have liked the various entries and I'll add to it. I, I got distracted with some, some medical stuff that happened on the trail and I had to talk about altitude sickness and had to talk about uh, drownings. 
because we had one of them, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, so, but it was just a spur of the moment thing that's taken off and I will continue. And it's akin, akin to uh, this book I've been writing for uh, since 1974, uh, <laughs> you know, about uh, getting out into the wild, getting out into the woods. But see, everything that mountain education preaches is not survival. I'm not into survival. I'm into telling people, get a plan, go to the grocery store, go to wherever, get your food, get your gear, pitch your tent in your living room, uh, practice in your backyard, turn the sprinklers on and make sure everything tests out. Eat your trail diet at home first mm -hmm. while a bathroom is nearby yeah. <laughs> because your, your GI tract may not like you. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is what we what we teach and preach you know practical functional reliable stuff uh that a lot of hikers simply don't know and and, and when we try and get those that word out and that was what the series was all about and that's if you if people go to my my page ned tibbetts at facebook or mountain education uh, inc at facebook you'll see posts that go way back god when did I discover the internet? Uh, 2005. <laughs> and uh, that's actually, that's when I learned to type. Mm, that's kind of sad to say. But anyway, um, uh, posts all about, you know, non-technical junk. I got lots on how a sleeping bag is designed, how, how clothing keeps you warm, why one tent will work, one won't, you know, all kinds of that kind of junk. But I have lots of stuff about the more deeper internal things that go on uh, with hikers that they have no way of knowing until they get out there. And that's why so many people quit at Tahoe. So many people quit at Mammoth. Uh, uh, actually, a lot of people quit at Warner Hot Springs, which is what, within the first week, because it's like, oh my God, I miss home. I miss my dog and my kitty and, and I miss my family. And I'm, I'm going home, <laughs> you know, so you got to talk about that stuff. And, and I've got, people should just scroll back. But if, they don't want to. They've been going like, Ned, when the hell are you going to write your book? Come on, let's get it done, okay? And so um, I'm still working on it. One of these days, I'll finally just not have so much going on and, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it all together. But it's in writing. I just need to put it in one place. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, I'm rebranding re Mountain Education's uh, website, and it's going to be exactly that. It's going to be a place where people can go to find those written things that they can read while they're in the bathroom and they've got time on their hands or they're going to post it with magnets on the refrigerator in the kitchen and they can read a few paragraphs at a time or I, have, I haven't graduated so well into the YouTube thing. I've got plenty of videos shot on technical stuff and snow stuff and the right path and route to take to go up passes and down passes when they're covered in snow and junk like that. But um, I just haven't brought it up to date. But that's what the new website's going to be. Uh, just a resource center, really. Yeah, that's great. That sounds really helpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, East Coast, West Coast, whatnot. But I find that, at least through people's comments, you know, uh, uh, that, that there are a lot of armchair quarterbacks, again, out there. And they, they get, get their video camera, and they've got their sleeping bag out in the woods. And they're thinking, you know, let's just tell everybody how it's done. You know, uh, they, they kind of like the way I present things. You know, you can go to the Army surplus store and get whatever you can afford. Go to the used whatever store 
and 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 get get uh, get your feet wet. You know, maybe go do an overnight at your your local state park and see if this thing is 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 something you like to do, and, and then find out what your body's strengths and weaknesses are. Dabble at first, but you know, I don't care. I, I'm not going to say you know you got to have the the greatest beta uh, best uh, whiz bang ultralight whatever before you can maybe even hope to get to, to go the distance. No, that's that's part of your your mind, spirit, body that's going to go the distance and your motivation for being there. I don't care if you got a wool shirt or you got the latest synthetic whatever, you know, you'll find out. But hopefully, test everything before you go. But I know I digressed a little bit there, but no, um, I don't think so at all. I think that's that's great. That's great advice and and great information. You know, <laughs> I think that's yeah. a common thread we've heard over and again from a lot of our guests who are doing some, you know, very, very different things, but they'll talk about how, yeah, there's the physical part of it, but a big part of many of these things is the mental part, you know, like having your head in the right place to be alone, be alone with yourself for months at a time or to, you know, um, to power through when, you know, your, your, your feet are sore and you're tired or whatever, or to stop, to know, like, I don't have to power through. I can stop and take a zero day or, rest up if I need to. Um, and I think that's undervalued. Is that it is totally stuff? undervalued. Matter of fact, PCTA once asked me to give a presentation at what do they call those things? Trail, trail days, I think the trail days. Well, trail days is the one up there on the Columbia River. Well, right? kickoff the kickoff or whatever. Well, the, the PCT kickoff was yet another one. But yeah. the, the PCTA created something like trail days. Mm-hmm. And I remember giving a talk in Sacramento at some Air Force base auditorium, whatever. And uh, on on just that on the the internal challenges, the emotional, spiritual challenges uh, of hiking a long distance trail of being out in the woods when you know, you're four days now from a trailhead. You can't just simply run back to your car and say, screw this, I'm going for a hamburger or a pizza or something. Uh, you know, you have to be, learn to live with yourself, as you just said. Um, and that is a very real thing that causes a lot of people to say, screw it, I'm, I'm heading home. You know, they just didn't plan for that. They didn't, they didn't practice that. You at least do a trip that has a resupply. Be out for three weeks and find out what it's like to be on your own when you can't just immediately turn to your phone or internet, uh, your partner, your group for help. You got to have your shit together and, and know how to tap what strengths you have uh, to, to get through, to make the right decisions. Sometimes, yeah, like you said, don't push. I've heard one of the big mental challenges, like a lot of people who've done the AT first are like, oh, I did the, you know, the AT and I'm going to come to the PCT and they get out there and they're like, well, well where's the next town? Like, or where's the town today? And everyone's yeah. like, there is no town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, right. well, I have a blister. Like, you know, I'm just going to go in and get a Band-Aid or whatever. And they're like, yeah, no, that, that doesn't happen on the PCT. Like, you're in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you are. Well, exactly. And, and, and I remember this is a, the, uh, I might have told this story on the podcast before, so I apologize if I'm repeating. But, but when we were doing the JMT, when we came into Mammoth, there was a brother and sister. And the brother had done the, the AT. 
and told his sister, oh, you don't need sunglasses, you don't need a hat, Uh-oh. you don't know, whatever. And coming into Mammoth, she got snow blind because we did it, you know, if, from those who've seen the movie, know, in a really heavy snow year. So she literally got snow blind out there, you know, and it's mm. like, you know, obviously on the AT, it's the tunnel, right? I, I, I mean, but it is funny that, you know, even someone as experienced as someone that's done the whole AT doesn't necessarily know what they need to do for the PCT or, or you know, or yeah. the JMT or even a weekend trip in the Sierra. You know, every, you know where, you, where you're going because every, you know, the Rockies probably have things that I don't know, even though I've done all these trips in the, you know, in the Sierra and, and other mountain ranges, you know, you never, you never know. It's, it's you know, do your research, you know, you'll, yeah. you'll be happy you did. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's all different. Yeah. And it's all, it's all hard in its own way, but not the same. Nope. <laughs> Talking about doing research. I just wanted to ask Ned, like, you know, when you did the PCT back way back and you did the CDT, I mean, that was early, early, early days, 1980 for the CDT. I mean, it was an, it was an idea, yeah. you know, more than anything. And, um, you know, there's no internet. So your, you know, your research looks totally different now with the internet, you know, it's, I think it's both a, a blessing and a curse because there's a wealth of information available to us. You know, there's maps, there's videos, there's, you know, photos and, and trip reports and all kinds of information available. I guess the challenge is, filtering you know like how do you um how do you find the separate the good stuff from the from the nonsense that's out there because i think there's a lot of nonsense out there too yeah how do you vet your source yeah exactly um yeah i remember i remember uh when i first started with fema one of the things they were telling us about um uh, when we when we talk to victims of disasters, especially cities and states and stuff like that, and, and you know then they need to rebuild, and when they don't know who you are, and you know you're just a government dude, uh, you need to you need to kind of um, uh, have some credibility, and so you know you might want to share with someone you're talking uh, to uh, what what you did in another disaster or how you helped in a different thing. Well, same same way in this, you know. Uh, do say, well, I did the PCT then, I did the CDT then. You know, you got to have some credibility. Uh, you've been running a wilderness school for 40 years. You're, you're on the snow for six months of every year. So maybe you know a thing or two about it. But so you got to say that. And also your, your listeners or a person's uh, uh, listeners will often say, Hey, you know, Ned, man, I, I, I tried out what you said and it just really rocked. You know, it was great. You know, thanks for that. Or, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be your credibility. You don't need to puff yourself up and that's not the intent. But you got to, if you're going to say something and you're going to have any kind of um, trustable nature to you, you got to say, okay, well, I was a wilderness ranger for so many years and I've, I've been in search and rescue for so many years. And then they may not know what that means. So you may tell a story or two and paint the picture a little bit, and then they're going to go like, wow, hmm, maybe this guy does have his shit together. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll listen to him for a little bit, and then I'm going to test it myself. Mm-hmm. And, and then you read down, you scroll down through the comments, and somebody goes, you know, you know, affirms that. So I think that's really the only way you can vet sources these days, because there are a lot of highly polished and even sponsored and professional folks who've written books and done videos and they got all the stuff you don't know what's in folks you don't want no what 
don't know what experiences they've had that they're teaching from. They're basing their teaches, teachings from. So uh, you gotta have, they got to have some credibility. The, only, the best way to, to find out if somebody's worth listening to is listen to the people who have already listened to them. I think as a rule of thumb, too, like a lot of times people, particularly now, will be like, oh, don't, if you're worried about something and people go, oh, don't worry. That means yeah. you should worry twice as much. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what but I they, mean? Like, listen yeah, to your say, own clock. Like, if someone tells you not to worry when you're worried about something, you know, that that should kind of worry you. Because it's like, well, my clock is this. Why is, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just, that that's a good way to go about this kind of thing. If, listen to yourself more than other people, you know? Yes. <laughs> oh, you got the guy that says, oh, hell, what are you worried about? I did the PCT in shorts and sandals. I mean, yeah. come on, boots. Give me a break. You know, they, they, they say that sort of stuff, and, and people don't know really how to take it. And then you research them, you know, and you find out, wow, well, you know, they, they um, didn't really get very far, or they didn't really do the whole thing, or, you know, they, they, they got injured because of they were in the wrong shoes. But they're not telling that. But, you know, there's a lot of that. There's, you know, in every profession, there's a lot of ego. So true uh, also for um, hiking. You know, I did my 20, I've done 30s, I've done 45 miles, you know, man, I'm, 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 you know, really cool. I'm, the word is badass correction. So, uh, that's, that's a little ego in the wrong, I would say wrong place because whether I was a ski patroller as a, as a pro or a national, which is a volunteer for heavenly for years or whatever, you've got folks who think that they can do all that and be all that in a bag of chips. So, and they get themselves into major trouble. Well, and look at how many of the sort of the best mountaineers and the best people have, have died or had really bad accidents. So it's like, you know, what? no matter who you are, you know, the mountains win, right? I mean, you got to. Do you, you know. remember? Do you remember the book? Oh, no, not book. The magazine called uh, 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 something like Fire and Ice or something. It was a climber's magazine. Mm -hmm. It was something in ice. But I remember when I first read it, started looking at it years and years ago, I got toward the back and it's like, shit, there's an obituary back here. There's an, there's an obit section for guides and mountaineers. And it's like, hey, yeah, they fall and they die just like anybody else. <laughs> hey, so, so Ned, I know that you're super active online in some of the Facebook groups and that you're really uh, very willing to give your knowledge and expertise. So yeah. like, what, are, what would be the places where people, if they want to have questions to ask you about, whether it's hiking the PCT or some other safety advice, that sort of thing, where would they find you? I don't know. I guess Facebook is taboo these days. I don't know. Everybody says they use a, <laughs> they use the LinkedIn. No, not LinkedIn. What is it? Instagram, IG. Yeah. They use that. I, I have an account. I never use it yeah. uh, because I yak too much. I write too long. It's like I'm limited to a certain length on Instagram, so I don't do it. But uh, go to if you if you can dare to, to wade into the Facebook waters, uh, go to my page, Ned Tibbetts on uh, Facebook or go to Mountain Education on Facebook. You know, I think they're interconnected somehow. If you got some questions, I even take phone calls. If I, I talk to folks all around the world. They got questions about how, how to do it or what about this or that or the realities of the trail. So uh, email Ned Tibbetts at Gmail dot com. Pretty simple. Um, Mountain Education, you can do net at mountaineducation.org. I, I can be reached any, any way. And if a phone call works better, because some people simply like to talk and I'm right there, you know, uh, that works for me. 
that that's awesome. I really yeah, like thanks, that Ned. approachability. Yeah. And, and frankly, Facebook for that, this kind of thing is way better than Instagram. Instagram is more of yeah. a uh, a picture thing. It's more of a lifestyle. Like anything was Facebook has a lot of bad on it. That's for sure. And you're right. It is deservedly gotten a bit a bad rap. It's earned it and for a lot of things. But for this kind of thing, where it shines and where it's good is the groups. The chats and this kind of thing is where it shines, and 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 you're you know it also shines because of people like you and how generous you are with your experience, your time, and your and your thoughts. So so thank you for that, and and thanks for coming on, Ned. It's it's been great having you on. Yeah, this has been great. So much yeah. information. Yeah, anytime, man. You want me back? I'll talk your ear off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's gonna do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support us financially, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash A-T-A-P. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Mirror Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Elvis Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we talk to upcycling gear maker, Hanna Fanazo Kruger. As always, thanks for listening.